0: Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info.
1: Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, so happy to have you with us again uh, for today's show. Boy, there is so much news uh, happening today that I want to get right to it. Um, and, and I'm happy that I have uh, just two people I couldn't ask as better panelists for a show with so much to talk about. It's Wednesdays today, which means that uh, Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is here. Greg, thanks for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, and my
2: kid's going back to school on Monday, so we're getting ready for back to school already.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about at some point today, this new CDC mask guidance, which includes recommendations that schools mask back up. So I'll be interested in hearing your uh, thoughts on that. And if we're going to talk about schools, there's nobody better to talk about that subject with than our other panelists today. Donna Lowry, the host of GPB's TV's Lawmakers, but also many of you in North Georgia know her from her many years as the top education reporter in Atlanta television. Um, Donna, thank you for being here today.
0: Happy to be here. You know, it it is strange for me right now not to be covering the education beat as much as I used to. I mean, this was my time. Like all summer, people would say, what do you do during the summer as an education reporter? Focus on what's coming up. And so that's what I usually (laughs) did. But I, I love watching what's going on and keeping up.
1: Yeah, no, with everything yeah yeah and we're going to tap into your uh, expertise when we get to that subject in the show today but but I do want to start today um, because two Georgia members of Congress uh, really came into play on all of this uh, with the story about the first day of hearings uh, in the House committee investigating the insurrection at the. the uh, US Capitol on January 6 we we know that Republicans have boycotted that. Uh, hearing uh, because and, and the whole investigation after Nancy Pelosi rejected a couple of members that the Republicans wanted to put in there saying that they were clearly named to sabotage the uh, the entire effort uh, So there were two Republicans there yesterday uh, uh, Lynn Cheney and Adam Kinzinger uh, But but again, I want to talk about this from the perspective of George's congressman, but Greg as I do Let me start by reading just a couple graphs from the New York Times story about the hearing itself. Yesterday, they started it off with uh, personal stories from four law enforcement officers who were at the Capitol and faced the uh, rioters that day. Here's how the New York Times starts their story. One officer described how rioters attempted to gouge out his eye and called him a traitor as they sought to invade the Capitol. Another told of being smashed in a doorway and nearly crushed amid a medieval battle with a pro-Trump mob as he heard guttural screams of pain from fellow officers. And then they go on from there. I'll tell you what I'd like to do, Greg, and then I'll throw it to you. Let's listen to uh, some actual sound of a couple of these officers as they talked to the panel yesterday.
2: Once we lost ground, I was unable to retreat. I was uh, crushed up against the door frame. Um. And in uh, in my most vulnerable moments, um, the uh, the man in front of me took uh, took advantage, um, and beat me, you know, beat me in the head, ripped off my gas mask, straining my neck, skull.
3: It was political. They literally were there to stop the steal. So when people say it shouldn't be political, it is. It was and it is. There's no getting around that.
1: Uh, Greg, we have certainly heard these stories uh, in the months since the riot, Uh, but they were a compelling way for the Democrats who ran the committee to start the proceedings off.
2: They were, and they weren't just um, chilling. It was infuriating testimony. Um, And as you mentioned, it, it highlighted... The response from not just Republicans around the nation, but in Georgia as well, trying to uh, sort of change the narrative and pretend like this wasn't an insurrection, this wasn't as violent as it was, that as Andrew Clyde, the congressman from, from northeast Georgia, tried to allege that these were tourists instead of violent insurrectionists. Um, and, uh, you know, when Andrew Clyde himself was one of the people barricading the door, uh, trying to prevent these, these insurrectionists from attacking Members of Congress, um, the whole the whole thing, the whole watching the hearing, and I couldn't watch it the whole time because I was getting upset just watching it myself. Um, was infuriating, but it's also needed because there has been an attempt to to rewrite the narrative and pretend like it was just a small group of of wayward tourists, and it wasn't right. This wasn't a, a part of a concerted effort to to as as that officer said to quote unquote stop the steal. This was politically driven attempt to, to keep Donald Trump in the White House.
1: Um, Donna, it, this there is no worldly reason why this should have become a partisan matter. I mean, this riot affected Democrats and Republicans, as Greg just said, who were members of the United States Congress. They were all under fire and potentially were in, in, in a mortal danger uh, that day. Um, the whole country saw what happened on live television and then saw tapes, uh, body camera tapes and other things, just like the committee played yesterday. Um, there was no reason for this to become partisan. We should all, Democrats and Republicans alike, be terribly disturbed by what happened on January 6th.
0: Yeah, this was an American issue. This this affected all of us, everybody listening Watching the... Every time I see the video, every time I see it, it upsets me, and I don't understand why everybody doesn't feel the same way. Hearing those officers talk was... um, It was heart-wrenching. It was difficult to listen to. Hearing them use words like crushed and vulnerable and just not understanding what was going to happen to them, feeling that they were going to lose their lives, that... um, that, that, that this that they weren't prepared for what what um, what was hitting them at the time uh, the racial slurs all of that uh, just listening to all of that and then to have this revisionist version of what happened afterwards by um, people like uh, Andrew Clyde um, it, it really is upsetting I think to all of us who who you know how how could we all watch? the same thing, listen to the same words and come up with a different version of what happened. To call it a tourist event is um, very upsetting. I love that one of of the officers described when asked about whether or not it was a tourist visit, he said, if if that's what American tourists are like, I can see why foreign countries don't like American tourists. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I mean, I in, quote I mean it's just too. the <laughs>
0: ugly American that we always hear about. I mean, that's exactly you know that's exactly what it felt like. But these were we were all Americans. It was all Americans. Nobody from. Um, it's not like they were. It was a foreign country that they were in. So it's uh yeah. It, it, I don't understand how it became political. I don't know why it continues to be political and it and, and it continues to gain ground because as we know there were counter. Uh, press conferences yesterday by the GOP, you know, while this was taking place in order to, to further politicize it.
1: Yeah, Kevin McCarthy, uh, the minority leader in the House, of course, uh, and others uh, in the House leadership blamed this whole thing on Nancy Pelosi because they claim it was up to her to have made sure the security arrangements were made appropriately uh, for uh, the event of the day, which, of course, was certifying the Electoral College votes, Um, but the fact-checkers point out that it is really not the Speaker of the House any more than it is the Senate, at that time, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's role to assure what kind of security uh, is in place. Greg, you know, I want you—you're welcome to comment on that, but I I, want to remind people who listen to this show pretty regularly, that event on January 6th was the day after, of course, our Senate runoff here in Georgia, and because of that, we had made a decision, Sam, Amelia, and I, to be on the air live at 2 o'clock on that afternoon instead of playing a tape broadcast of the morning show in case vote totals came in that changed uh, what was happening. And, of course, Tamar Hallerman and I were able to watch that entire event and narrate the beginnings of the riot as it unfolded. And, Greg, one of the things that both Tamar and I were particularly personally struck by was how many years each of us spent in the halls of the United States Capitol. And it became a very personal feeling to think about that building where we'd both done so much reporting was under that kind of attack. So you can only imagine how members of Congress, as well as these law enforcement officers, were dealing with that experience.
2: Yeah, and, and our colleague uh, Tia Mitchell, the Washington correspondent for the AJC, yeah. was there in the building when when this unfolded. Yeah. Um, and yeah. look, you know, for tomorrow she knows capital security officers. You know, you you build a relationship just like we do at the state capitol with the people, um, not just the lawmakers and, and the officials and the staffers, you know, but the but the the folks who actually do the real work, guarding the building and and cleaning the halls and all that. And so you see these you know, hallways that and offices that and only like you know only reporters know and only the people who who live and breathe that building really go to on a regular basis. And it's gotta be so jarring because uh, as jarring as it was for us watching it from afar. And remember, as you mentioned, this was the day after the runoff where the biggest story in the world we thought was gonna be uh, calling the race for Ossoff and uh, for senators Alfa- Ossoff and Warnock. And I looked at the AJC's front page for the next day, uh, that Thursday, January 7th. And the story about flipping the Senate and the two historic Democratic wins was at the bottom of the page, and there was insurrection yeah. at the top. And of course, that is the right call because it was a once, in a, you know, it was, it was a, you had to put the insurrection on the front page. But that just showed yeah. you that the story that we had all been talking and writing and, you know, nonstop uh, hyperventilating about became secondary to the insurrection, of course.
1: So um, an event that played out last evening. Um, and so a, a, a number of us weren't even aware it happened until this morning, um, is that there was a there was a House Rules committee meeting yesterday afternoon. And Andrew Clyde, the Athens Republican, uh, came in to um, object to an amendment to a bill that was being considered. But he was confronted by Maryland Democratic Congressman Jamie Raskin who had sat through, Greg, four hours of the hearings that morning listening to the law enforcement officers and came in clearly shaken by seeing them talk about what happened to them. And so he decided that with Clyde sitting in front of him, having claimed this was like an ordinary tourist day, he would have a conversation with Clyde about it. I want to play some of that, and I suggest everybody settle back, relax a little, because I'm going to play a good minute 45, two minutes of this, because I think it's worthwhile. And then I'll ask you, Greg, and you, Donna, to comment on it. We're going to hear from uh, Jamie Raskin first. I'm asking, did you watch the testimony of the
3: Capitol officers who defended our lives on January 6th, or did you not? It's a yes or no question. It's irrelevant. It's absolutely irrelevant to this Okay. Amendment right here, and I'd like to stick to or it, or it you Okay, want to. then reclaiming my time, sir. Reclaiming is, my is time. Is that what you want to do, Mr. Chairman? Excuse me, Mr. Clyde. Excuse I have before, me. not you. They were asked the question by several of our colleagues, including Ms. Cheney, um, about statements that you made saying that the January 6th violent insurrection against Congress was akin to a normal tourist visit. And those officers said they weren't tourists, they were terrorists. Do you stand by your statement that they were tourists? I would like you to quote my exact statement, not your interpretation of my statement. Okay. Watching For the, record, the TV footage of those who entered the Capitol and walked through Statuary Hall showed people in an orderly fashion staying between the stanchions and ropes, taking videos and pictures, you know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. Those are your words. And I stand by that exact statement as I said it. Okay, do you agree or disagree with the officers who spent four or five hours battling that medieval mob that had baseball bats and lead pipes and so on? Do you stand by the statement that the people that they were fighting were tourists, or would you agree with them that they were terrorists? That statement did not say that those people were tourists. OK, read the statement Okay, and well, understand Well, I'm asking statement. you now. Well, you've got okay. the opportunity to tell All America right, right now, Mr. Clyde. Um, do you think that what they experienced was an attack by tourists or terrorists or violent insurrectionists? You've got the opportunity to clarify for the whole country right now. If, if you will read
1: the first part I'm of the statement. I'm not interested in that. I'm asking You're you. You're not interested
3: in my statement, <laughs> are you?
1: Uh, Greg and then Donna, react to what you just heard.
2: Yeah, you heard. You heard Congressman Clyde steadfastly stick to his his view that these were tourists. And and again, this is a this is a complete uh, reinterpretation, a complete uh, change of the narrative. Because uh, there are pictures of Andrew Clyde along with other lawmakers and staffers barricading a door as these quote unquote tourists are trying to infiltrate the Capitol and potentially attack. Uh, members of congress and their aides uh and, and you can hear from congressman raskin how infuriated he is it's hard for him to contain his emotions because and he wasn't one of the people who led the um the impeachment uh, uh charges against president trump shortly after the insurrection um so he knows his he knows his stuff um but you can hear the, the the fury in his voice and again look andrew clyde he's a freshman congressman and one of the reasons why um republicans and Democrats talk about uh you know when, when there's a serious conversation, they talk about the need to uh, to redraw some districts and, and 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 eliminate gerrymandering because he's he's elected to such a conservative district that it was a race to the very far right. And Andrew Clyde is a was was most known for his stance against the IRS as a gun store owner and his legal uh, legal uh, you know a case against the IRS, but was not involved in Georgia Republican politics really whatsoever. Um, and was seen as an outsider by the Republican establishment here. So a lot of them, they're not saying this publicly, but a lot of them are, are kind of face palming right now as they hear this exchange.
0: The Donna? fact that he would seem so appalled, but that he would be questioned about his statement dealing with tourism, you know, saying that it, the uh, the day was just a normal day for tourists coming to the Cap. The fact that he felt that that he was being put upon by um raskin by to explain why he felt that way is is uh, i don't understand it i don't understand why he doesn't realize what his words meant to the people who were in the capitol that day to these officers who are dealing with this ptsd um of of that day the 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 staff there the people who um the, um, the other Congress people, I don't understand why he isn't reflecting back on what he experienced that day, that he wants to stick to his guns on this no matter what and anybody else says, whatever else is laid out, um, that it was a tourist thing. This whole I stick to my statement that it had to be in the exact way that he said it. Um, you could tell that Raskin just—I felt like he wanted to like jump up out of his seat and rush to him. He was so angry about it. Um, you could almost, you know, feel that the the blood boiling within him over this. And I just—if this is another example of a Georgia congressperson who—it um, makes this state look like we're—we um, we all feel the same way with uh, Clyde and Marjorie Taylor Greene. We. Um, People are looking at Georgia in a different way. I mean, we may have had these, you know, the two senators um, from Georgia make the state look, you know, uh, where Warnock and Ossoff make the state look like it was turning a little bit and and maybe have a little bit more purple in it. But when you, when you hear from Clyde and Marjorie Taylor Greene, you think, wow, these pockets within Georgia that are so conservative, they refuse to see a wider view of what's going on politically, um, it's, it's just very frustrating um, so, to even talk to people outside of Georgia about it, frankly.
1: So, so, so Greg, I expressed incredulity a little while ago about how could people make this a partisan matter? Well, of course, I mean, I, we know exactly why. Uh, we know that uh, Republicans are afraid that if they acknowledge the insurrection in any way, it rests at Donald Trump's feet it threatens them in terms of election campaigns here in Georgia and across the country. Um, and, and so the, the the law enforcement officer who said, uh, y- you can't take the politics out of this. Of course, this is political, was one of the most, I thought, trenchant observations of the whole morning.
2: Yeah. And it's one of those, is this where you, when, as you're watching it, you know, and we had just been covering this. Completely polarizing runoff, right? We have been nine weeks into a runoff. I had pulled an all-nighter that night, you know, thinking that um, it, Warnock's race was called early in the morning. Um, Ossoff's race was about to be called when this was all developing. I mean, it was literally two hours into the, the insurrection when um, when the networks called the the race for John Ossoff. Um, but you were th- as you're watching, you're thinking, okay, this is something that that both parties can stand up and oppose because this is an attack on the cornerstone of our democratic foundations you know you there we had seen a lot but that was that to me was the seemed to be the tipping point and and in the days afterwards it seemed like that too you heard outrage from republicans as well as democrats and now we're on this familiar path again where truth is (laughs) is muddied um and uh, there's alternative facts and there's uh, right-wing media trying to uh, portray a completely different narrative, and there's a segment of the population, of course, that agrees with that. And then polls show that there's a segment of the population that believes this, is, this was nothing but a harmless band of tourists, even though uh, we've heard and seen with our very eyes what really happened.
1: Um, we, we should, as long as we're talking about uh, a, a Georgia congressperson also mention Marjorie Taylor Greene, yesterday afternoon. She met Gates. Uh, Louis Gomert and uh, Gomert um, and others uh, went to the Justice Department, where they held an outdoor news conference uh, that was disrupted by really uh, angry protesters. And essentially, one of the things they they said in that news conference, I, I will give them credit for saying that lawbreakers should be prosecuted. They Green said that Gomert did. They did say that, but a bulk of their attention. Ah, uh, Greg was focused on the fact that they were concerned about the treatment of people who'd been arrested and imprisoned uh, if, while they await charges on this. Yeah,
2: and again, that goes to the narrative that they're trying to push that these were patriots,
1: that these were just Donald Trump
2: supporters who were who were uh, attacked uh, by by law enforcement, and and it, you know the whole thing is is baffling because the Republican narrative, the the Donald Trump narrative, had been. Back the police, right? De- defend law and order, and and now the Capitol police in this sort of counter narrative are the enemies, and that's why that testimony yesterday was so powerful because you heard from one security officer after another talking about uh, how they were personally victimized, how their eyes were gouged, how they were um, sprayed with tear gas and pepper spray and others, um, and how they were how, how they were manhandled and attacked by 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 Donald Trump supporters.
1: Um, Donna Marjorie Taylor Green was busy uh, talking to the cameras yesterday. In the morning, she held a news conference in which she announced that she's filed a lawsuit, along with two other Republican lawmakers, um, over the fines they have been ordered to pay by the House for violating the mask guidelines on the House floor. She called it discrimination, segregation, And uh, so she's decided to file a lawsuit about this. Donna?
0: Yeah. Yeah. What? $500 fines um, against them roughly for their not wearing masks on the day when the CDC comes back and hands down um, further information saying that um, people should, even vaccinated people should mask up while inside. Um, it's just um, amazing that she has taken this hard line, despite the numbers we're seeing of the uh, Delta variant and the the um, the number of people who are continuing to get sick. That she is still fighting this. Um, the, the fact that she went against the the rules and that she was fined and that she's you know fighting she. The, so much of what her narrative has been about um, fighting for, you know, America, and yet she's going against American values in terms of what, um, when, when you are accused of something, when you are, you get a fine, that you should pay it, uh, that she's filed this uh, suit against it. And the fact that she and Andrew Clyde um, had dis- were among those who did not want to officially offer commemoration to the Capitol Police, who defended the the uh, the chamber? Uh, the fact that Clyde won't shake, didn't want to shake the hands of a metropolitan police officer. Both of them are are just sticking with their guns. They are digging in their heels when it comes to um, making sure their base realizes that they are not going to change their narrative at all, yeah. and that they are totally against what's going on. Um, in terms of, you know, um, trying to really look into what happened on January 6th and make sure that it doesn't happen again.
1: And Greg, to finish Marjorie Taylor Greene's day, and then to put that behind us, because we've talked, we're talking enough about her on this show. Uh, She was on Steve Bannon's radio show last night. And we remember that back during the runoff campaign, she stood proudly Uh, Kelly uh, Leffler stood proudly by Marjorie Taylor Greene's side, accepted her uh, uh, support, her uh, endorsement for that election. Uh, But on Steve Bannon's show uh, uh, last night, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene said this, I was very, very excited about all the hard work we had done to object to Joe Biden's electoral college votes. That got ruined. Senator Kelly Loeffler dropped out after she signed her name to object for Georgia. She ripped her name off after that Capitol attack. It caused us to fail. Bannon says, I think that's why she's not back in the Senate. And Green says, oh, she won't be. She will not be. People will not vote for her again.
2: And I don't think I'll ever forget that that, that press conference out in, in Yeah, you in, in were Dallas, there in Baldwin County, where where Marjorie Taylor Green and, and Kelly Leffler roll up in a Hummer uh and have this uh unique partnership, I should say, uh where, where they endorsed each other. Um, but uh yeah, uh as as Senator Leffler uh, considers a comeback bid, she will definitely not have Marjorie Taylor Green support. And look, that's that's also emblematic of, of how a a part of the Republican electorate feels that they will not forgive her, Kelly Loeffler, for, for switching her stance on the electoral college vote at, at, the day after her election defeat. Um, people won't, there, there are, there, that is an obstacle that Kelly Loeffler would have to overcome should she decide to run against Warnock next year.
1: Okay, I've got to get to our first break. And by the way, I know there are many of you, not, I shouldn't say many, I hear from some of you. Uh, when we talk about people like Clyde and Green, uh, you say, why, why do you talk about them? Why do you talk about Donald Trump? Um, because they have constituencies, and people need to hear what they're saying, how they're appealing to their constituencies, and if those constituencies reelect those uh, uh, members, um, we need to know exactly what they all uh, stand for as. Of our state, so that's why we talk about them, and I hope you all understand that. Let's get to our first break back with Donna Lowry and Greg Bluestein in just a moment. (music) Lawmakers host Donna Lowry, AJC political reporter Greg Bluestein with me for today's political rewind. Uh, Let's talk about an issue. Donna, that affects each and every one of us, and that's COVID 19, the, the Delta variant, which is spreading rapidly across portions of the United States, particularly in areas uh, that are uh, red politically. But now, when you look at the mapping of the Delta variant and the new outbreaks, the places that are red because they've been identified as high risk areas for COVID. If you look at Georgia, um, I, I don't have a number here, I didn't count it, but certainly more than three-quarters of the counties in Georgia are now in red or in orange, meaning that the number of new cases per 100,000 in terms of community transmission is, uh, there's more than 100 cases per 100,000 people over a seven-day period, it's really getting bad again in Georgia. And so, Donna... CDC now comes with a new guidance saying that vaccinated or not, people should seriously consider wearing masks indoors once again. Donna,
0: yeah, even if you, if, even if you've been vaccinated, um, and and I, it, I think this is a. <sighs> there was a lot of a gnashing of teeth yesterday with all of this because I think there's been a lot of frustration over the last few weeks by people who are upset over the the fact that the CDC opened up things too soon, anyhow, and that we have to go backwards on this is very frustrating for a lot of people. And I think that the whole idea that we um, we thought we were moving in one direction and that we're we we're, um, we're not anymore is uh, is very frustrating. My daughter works for uh, Wellstar, and apparently they are calling this the third wave already. You know, so the things are pretty bad out there. And now we've got to kind of we've got to look back at pulling out masks, and and every and and I think there is going to be a lot of people who are just not going to want to go back there. Um, and uh, so we've already seen people who have. Been shaming people who wear masks. I think we're going to see a lot of that. I feel bad for um, the people who are in stores who have to tell people and encourage people to wear masks. Um, we've seen, you know, the the, the political po- side of this has people very upset over, you know, uh, seeing people with masks, not people seeing people with masks, feeling that you know people are one side or another on all of this. Um, I can't imagine what the schools are going through, and you know, I worked um, briefly for both uh, the Cobb County School District and Fulton County School Districts as they prepare to go back to school. These uh, school districts having to deal with parents who are—we're hoping that kids could finally go back and have, you know, a normal type situation when it comes to school again. And that looks like it's not going to happen. And I think the toughest part is the map that the CDC put out that has the little pockets on it and the different colors and all. I think it's still um, difficult for people to understand what what they should be doing. I mean, I think these guidelines are um, they feel like they're all over the place to me.
1: Greg, you you have daughter start school again on Monday. Um, we know that Gwinnett County yesterday uh, joined uh, the Atlanta Public Schools in requiring masking once again. Um, as a as a father, beyond being a political reporter, uh, you're watching this very closely. Yeah, and we live in
2: DeKalb County, and that was one of the first counties to 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 go back to a mask requirement um, for students uh, a few weeks ago, and you know. We, uh, of course we agree, um, you know, the, the kids don't like it. <laughs> They're whining about it. And it's a new habit for them to get back into. I mean, how long did we, did we always, you know, it became second nature to carry a mask with you, to have it in your car, to have it in your pocket, wherever you were holding it. And uh, now it has to become second nature again. And look, in the face of um, Governor Kemp has made it clear that he's, he's not gonna support a mask mandate, even, even at the height of the, the earlier uh, waves of pandemics, he made that very clear. So now what we're seeing is local officials take take into their own hands. Um, we've talked about Savannah and their partial mask mandate they implemented on Monday. I would not be shocked to see other cities follow suit um, and, and call for partial or, or, or broader mask mandates. And now of course, we're seeing local school districts and something like a quarter of Georgia's public schools students are now going to classes. will be going to classes uh, where masks are required.
1: Yeah, uh, by the way, Savannah, Mayor Van Johnson, who did impose a new mask mandate, he was the first mayor a year ago, plus ago to uh, mm-hmm. require masks in the city of Savannah under many circumstances. And uh, he lifted that only in May, and now he's reinstated it. He'll be on our show, uh, uh, one of our shows uh, next week. But Greg, one of the issues here um, is, I, I think that, and, and Donna sort of alluded to it, this is such an evolving situation that, um, that public health officials, even doing their best work, have to adjust as they watch how the virus develops. So that when an Anthony Fauci said at the very beginning, don't wear a mask because in fact, uh, frontline workers need those masks first, the, uh, um, the, the, they needed to be masked, and then later said, no, you've really gotta wear a mask. Last week or so, when, when CDC said you don't necessarily have to wear a mask indoors if you're vaccinated, now they're... And this isn't because anyone's lying with some right-wing political people are trying to uh, get across. This is because they're still trying to understand this, Greg.
2: Yeah, you're exactly right. This is not lying. It's not flip-flopping. Uh, these are scientists adapting and trying to communicate to to the broader public the latest research and the latest details they have on this pandemic. And I'm one of those people who thought, you know, I got vaccinated as soon as I could. And I thought the moment the CDC, I, rem- I was at the Braves game when the CDC announced um, mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, you didn't have to wear masks. And I said, you know, I I couldn't wait. And I was excited. And it was one of those people who thought I would never have to wear a mask, at least during this pandemic again. And and now it looks like we're, we're gonna have to wear masks again. Uh, and that's just the nature of, of these variants, right? Um, Science has produced an unbelievable marvel in being able to contain this pandemic and create a vaccine um, to, to to protect uh, even the people who get breakthrough uh, con- uh, infections from hospitalizations and deaths and more severe cases. Right. Um, and now it's up to us to take advantage of it. And unfortunately, a majority of Georgians have not taken advantage of it. And that's the situation
0: we're in right now. Yeah, I think a lot of us uh, just thought that this was going to just be the miracle cure, right? Uh, it is amazing that we were able to come up with vaccines. I um, mean, when we really think about it, the fact that they had really been working on vaccines prior to uh, COVID-19 becoming what it became, it led us to getting vaccines fairly early. Um, and I think as um, as Americans in particular, we just have this feeling that we're just going to, you know, conquer it all anyhow. And so when we all got vaccinated, we thought this was the end of everything, that things were going to go back to normal. And yet this Delta variant has, as I understand it, it is so much more contagious. It And we... And the scientists had no idea how it would um, affect everybody. And, you know, those of us who are vaccinated being able to carry it and those kinds of things. And so I think a lot of that is um, trying to understand that the science is evolving and yet trying to get out of our own heads about where we want to be in terms of um, normalcy in our lives. You know, we feel like we've gone through, what, 15, 18 months of a really tough time and we should be able to move on and and just, you know, return to life. But uh, it appears that this is something that's going to stick with us for a while. And uh, we're just going to have to start looking about masks and uh, looking at masks. So so for a while there, I had masks in my car and my purse everywhere. And uh, I've really gotten rid of them, to be honest with you. Last night I went out to dinner and with friends, and I found one really quick, you know, and then a friend of mine got out of the car and she said, I don't have a mask. And I was able to find one in my glove compartment. So, I mean, we, I think we, are, we had already started in this mode of, okay, so, you know, life is returning to normal, um, but it, it's not going to happen. The other thing is, like, my, my church is getting ready to open up. Um, I have a funeral I will be attending this weekend I am reevaluating all of those things, and I think all of us have to now with this and uh, just kind of look at life in a different way. We're going to have to continue to be cautious about how we approach life with this. um, I'd like to go. I'd like to go. Yeah,
1: I apologize for interrupting. I'd like to go on record. Greg is saying that my wife and I still have a basket full of KN95 masks and wear them every single day when we leave the house and go supermarket shopping or to any other kind of store. And I hope a lot, and we're both fully vaccinated, um, and I hope other people will take that lesson. But more important, of course, Greg, is what kind of encouragement is the governor going to give to insist not mandated but number one insist that people look seriously at getting vaccinated we've said on the show a couple times he said oh you should consider getting vaccinated i'm vaccinated um and i think it's a good idea but that's an individual choice but then here's the other interesting thing and you comment on all of this um his emergency powers expired right so Well, although he could fight with Keisha Lance Bottoms over her decision to impose a mask mandate in in Atlanta, um, am I right? Or if Van Johnson in Savannah, am I right that local municipalities are now um, entitled to go ahead and and do uh, this sort of thing? And the governor's emergency power, he doesn't have the emergency power to stop local uh, communities from taking action. Am I right? You're
2: right. Yeah, when his emergency powers lapsed last month, it took away his uh, his broad authority to supersede um, local ordinances, local rules. I mean, there's still probably avenues, legal avenues he could pursue if he really wanted to, but in general, it is definitely not as easy for him to to say that that Atlanta or Savannah, or wherever, is violating his orders because he doesn't have a statewide authority in order anymore to enact those orders. And doing so would require lawmakers to go back to a special session and, and ratify a public health emergency declaration. And when that last happened back in April of last year, it took a full day in the middle of the, the first big wave of the pandemic. Um, and it led to the entire legislative branch being qu- put into the quarantine because several lawmakers with COVID-19 came to the Capitol that day. So that was a, a day I'll never, another day I'll never forget. Um, but you're right, the pressure is on Governor Kemp right now. I mean, d- does he go and do what some other governors have done? Maybe some gimmicky things like like lotteries and gift cards and things like that to encourage the population. Early on, he was very, very proactive. You know, he went on vaccine tours. He got the vaccine on live TV, on WSB TV, at Grady Hospital in front of, you know, tens of hundreds of thousands of, of viewers. Uh, and he's encouraged Republicans and Democrats left and right to go get the vaccine, but you haven't heard as much from him about it in the last few weeks as Georgia's vaccination distribution rate continues to lag behind the rest of the nation.
1: Um, Even in Florida, Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who has been about as anti-mask, anti-vax as you can get, he's got every single county in his state in the red zone, and there are reports now that behind the scenes, Politico reported this the other day, He's weighing whether or not he has to impose some sort of mandate moving forward as well. So it will be interesting to see what Governor Kemp decides to do. Let's get our final break of the show out of the way. When we come back, I do want to talk a little bit about this deal up in Cherokee County where uh, Robert Aaron Long uh, ple- pled guilty, pleaded guilty to uh, murdering four people in the spa up there. And we'll talk about that and a little bit more after the break. Greg Bluestein. on March 16th, the, the state, uh, the country, was horrified um, when Robert Aaron Long uh, went on a rampage in Cherokee County, where he murdered four people in a uh, massage parlor up there, um, an Asian-American-run uh, parlor and then came to Atlanta, killed four more people. Yesterday, the uh, Cherokee County DA had him in court, announced that they had reached a plea deal. He will serve consecutive sentences. He'll never leave jail. He'll never leave prison again, but he won't face the death penalty in Cherokee County. Here's what the DA up there said about that uh, decision.
0: Aaron Long is a cold-blooded murderer. The victims deserve swift and firm justice that holds this murderer fully accountable and that is exactly what this sentence that was pronounced today gives them. The defendant's rationale for this crime is sick and twisted and hard for a rational mind to comprehend.
1: So uh, Greg, there are many people who feel that um, up in Cherokee they spared the victims' families, the agony of going through a long trial, where there would be, would be testimony about the individual shootings, how they unfolded. But at the same time, there has been some criticism of the fact that a hate crime <coughs> charge was not added in the sentencing, and that's because Cherokee County investigators say they found no real evidence that it, bias against Asian Americans was the reason behind the crime? That's not satisfying everyone up there, Greg.
2: Yeah, it has definitely split the Asian American community, and we have uh, we quoted one Korean American civic leader who called the plea agreement a slap in the face to the region's Asian population, uh, and, and not not over a concern that 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 the defendant uh, that 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 uh, uh, Robert Aaron Long will ever. See the light of the day again, right? He has four prison sentences, and he's still going to face charges in Fulton County. But it was more over the fact that, yeah, that those hate crime charges weren't added, that he's not facing the death penalty. And in Cherokee County, it's a lot easier to get to get a death penalty conviction than it will be in Fulton County, where DA Fannie Willis uh, 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 expects to 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 bring capital punishment charges against Robert Eric Long. So there's some hurt feelings. And there's also behind the scenes, there's concern that that the Cherokee County district attorney's office didn't provide language services to some of the victims, that they weren't, they weren't brought in on this entire process as much as they would be had they spoken English as a first language.
1: Um, The uh, DA up there, Donna insists that she did talk to victims' families uh, about all of this, but Greg points out some of those families uh, were not English speakers. Um, the, but here's int- the other interesting thing about this is that mo- most people in the world, uh, in the legal world, in the law enforcement world, believe that Georgia has one of the best now, finally, hate crimes laws available. And I- I'm curious about one aspect of it. Um, even if you can't prove that this was motivated by some antipathy toward Asian Americans, um, Women are covered by the hate crimes law, and he he would he claims that it was his sex addiction that really led to these uh, shootings, uh, which would seem to me, you could make an argument, is uh, a crime against women.
0: Yeah, I think I think the uh, the DA up there was just looking to um, put this away. And um, put this behind everybody. And and as you mentioned, there are some people who are happy about it. But there there are certain elements of that hate crimes law that they could have gotten into and um, and, and really focused on it and and really really showed people what kind of teeth it has. And that didn't happen. The other part about it, in terms of the languages, is, is uh, there are people who are within the Asian uh, Asian and Asian American communities who say. That in Asian companies, the whole idea of plea deals doesn't really exist, so people don't really understand what this is all about, how you could have a plea deal, Um, and maybe that there there was a language barrier when it came to not only just the the language, but what it all means, Um, and and whether or not this is enough to um, stop other people from um, committing crimes against Asians in this country. Um, right. that's, we'll that's the
1: real key. I'm sorry again for interrupting. We'll, you know, we'll see what happens when this case moves to uh, Fulton County. It'll be interesting. Uh, Greg, we've got a little time left. I do want to turn to Herschel Walker for just a minute. You have said on this show repeatedly that your, you know, your people are telling you that they're just waiting for Herschel Walker to jump into this race. I'd be interested in knowing whether you think that's still true. And then I'd love for you to give us just a couple you know, minutes on this new Associated Press story, which takes his personal history a step further in terms of things that people are going to worry about. The, the allegations of violence against his former wife. Um, what does all this mean to Herschel Walker's run for the U.S. Senate?
2: This is the most
1: bizarre campaign
2: I've ever covered because, A, it's impossible to actually cover it right now. Um, Herschel Walker's in Texas, and there's no known public operatives who are working with him. So um, that's why whenever we write these stories and other outlets write these stories, there's no Herschel Walker voice in there. Um, which to me is baffling, too, because if I'm, if I'm anyone associated with Herschel Walker, I'd want to rebut. You know, I'd want to ha- just have a statement out saying hey, you know, here, here's some context about what you're accusing me of. But there's none of that, because he's in Texas, and um, even even senior Republican officials here in Georgia, even elected op- elected officials are having a really hard time talking to him. It still looks like he's going to run. Who knows? It tends, it tends to change by the day and by who you're talking to, but it still looks like he's going to run. And clearly, um, there are other Republican elected officials who feel that way, like Buddy Carter, who says he won't get in the race until... Herschel's not in it, and Buddy Carter's still not in the race, so that, that gives you an indication of where, where he thinks this is going. Um, but yeah, about this report, um, look, a lot of this history has been has been explored, even in Herschel Walker's own book, where he admits to violent and erratic past tendencies. I think this AP report um, added no- another layer to it by going into detail about uh, the protective order in 2005 that Herschel Walker's ex-wife had to take out uh, because she and her boyfriend were being threatened by Herschel Walker, um, who, who is apparently leveling death threats against against her, uh, to the point where the judge felt swayed to issue the protective order. Again, we have no comment from Herschel Walker because he's not commenting on this. But I'd say in general, you know, he he did go on Hannity this week and said that all these negative stories don't bother him because Herschel Walker is going to do what Herschel Walker does, and he's not letting anyone else affect his timeline. And so, in general, and we saw this with Donald Trump. We saw this with other Republicans saying that all these negative reports—you know—he hasn't used the term "fake news," but clearly, he'll try to write this off as as hyperventilating by the press instead of, of you know, instead of what it is, which is court documents that show uh, his violent past
1: tendencies. Uh, Donna, I'm old enough, as we run out of time here. This takes me back to, what, 1985, when all the buzz was that Vince Dooley, the legendary coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, was going to run for the United States Senate, and that was talked about for months, speculated about. Oh, by the way, I think it was Channel 2 Action News that broke the story the night before he announced that he wasn't going to run. Uh, Donna, we'll see if Bluestein gets the beat on this one. Uh, Donna, real yeah. quickly, uh, the Republicans, they got to find somebody with a big, big name.
0: They do. And they are running out of time to find somebody. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. No sports uh, Donna hero, Lowry. I Maybe. <laughs> <Yeah. All
1: right. laughs> Donna Lowry, Greg Bluestein, thank you so much for a, a terrific uh, conversation. I really was glad to have Uh, both of you here uh, today. Uh, Political Rewind, of course, be back again with a brand new show tomorrow. In the meantime, my thanks to Amelia Brock, Sam Burmis dawes and Jesse Neiswanger for all the work they've done today as they do every day on the show. So that's it for me. Um, As we leave you, once again, take care, stay healthy, I think, as I've been saying for a while and so have other people, please think about wearing a mask, even if you're vaccinated, when you're inside somewhere. And if for some reason you just haven't gotten around to it, go get the vaccine. It'll make all of us, all of us healthier. Take care, everybody.